This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. And to that. The kids going somewhere? Apparently. Kids are going somewhere. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just sang, we praise and glorify you this morning that our sinful soul has been purchased by our Savior's blood, and because of that, we are hidden and kept with Christ above. Father, what a blessing you have bestowed on us through the grace and mercy that you showed us through Him, through the grace and mercy that you continue to show us through Him. Father, we pray for more of that now as we turn to Your Word and again look to You to reveal Yourself to us and to display Your majesty and strength and power one more time that we might grow into a better image of the Savior we love so much. Father, it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. We're going to be at the very end of 2 Peter this morning. We're going to finish it up. If you want to start heading there in your Bibles. I was thinking this week, it's been a while since I explained why our church is named Cedar Springs Church. And we have so many new folks since the last time I did that, I thought I might take a moment now to explain to you why we're called Cedar Springs Church. See, our name has somewhat of a double meaning. Yes, we are in Cedar Crest, New Mexico. That's part of it. and We all know there's no such thing as water in New Mexico, so where do the springs part come from? When we first planted this church, my consuming desire was that everything we did Our lives, our jobs, our marriages, our families, everything would be built and rooted in the Word of God alone. And that's how we would live. And in Scripture, we find a lot of similar talk about the cedars of Lebanon. They were, and the few that are left are still today, some of the biggest trees in the world. And their natural durability is is remarkable. It's almost unheard of. In fact, in the 1940s, an earthquake caused some damage to the mosque on top of the uh, Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and they had to do some repairs. And and one of the things that this this earthquake had done was, was broken some walls and revealed some structural cedar beams in this mosque that were clearly used in some other building. You could tell that they were being reused. And As the scientists look further and further into this, what they realized is that these cedar beams were probably being reused from Herod's temple over 2,000 years ago. They're incredible trees. Psalm 104 verse 16 says, The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. Now the King James translates that verse a little more literally. Literally that verse says, The trees of the Lord are fat or plump 
with sap. Psalm 29.5 says that, that these trees were rooted so deep that only the Lord could uproot them. Psalm chapter 1, verse 3 says, The wise man is like a tree planted by streams of water. He yields his fruit in season and his leaf does not wither. And that's what I want us to be. I want us to be a grove of cedars planted by God near springs of living water. Cedar Springs Church. Now you're all caught up. But the reason, the reason I wanted to bring that up this morning is because that idea of being stable, of being rooted, has been the, the central theme of Peter's second letter that we've been studying. And it's exactly what, what he wants to make his final words to us this morning. You see, Peter had experienced what it means to be uprooted. And he didn't want any of us to have that same experience. As you all are probably familiar with, the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus prophesied. He said, Peter, tonight you are going to fall away. There's that word. It's the opposite. You will be destabilized is what, it, what he's saying. And Peter being Peter, he responded, Lord, even though the rest of these chumps might fall away, I won't. And Jesus said, yes, Peter, you will. Before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. And, of course, we all know the story. That night, Peter denied Christ three times. Ironically, the third time, apparently in front of this very intimidating young servant girl. However, Jesus said something else important to Peter that night. After he told him that he would deny him, he says, Peter, when you have been restored, when you have been restabilized, strengthen your brothers. Peter, after you have fallen away, once you have been restored, strengthen your brothers, root them, stabilize them so they won't fall away like you. Now, I can't help but think that experience must have burned into the memory of Peter. Again, because that stability has been the central theme of this letter. In fact, flip back to chapter 1 in verse 10. Peter says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Why? Because if you practice these qualities, you will never fall away. And then in verse 12 of chapter 1, Peter says, therefore, I intend to remind, always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in them. That's that word again, in the truth that you have. And then look at, at chapter 2. In verse 14, Peter's talking about the, the false teacher's desire to destabilize us. He says, They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. There's that word again. Unestablished, unrooted souls. As you can see, Peter has been consumed with this desire to keep us from falling away, to keep us established and rooted in God. And he wants to tell us this again one last time in these last two verses this morning. And so, so I, like Peter, want to persuade you one more time that we must continually sink our roots into Christ. We must continue to deeply sink our roots into Christ. Go, go back to chapter 3. And let's look at verse 17 
and 18. Peter says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I want you to go back to verse 17, and I want you to see how Peter says we must continue to sink our roots into Christ so that we are not carried away by error. We must sink our roots deeply into Christ so we are not carried away by error. As many of you know, my wife loves to garden. Her title in our home is Sensei because she is a master gardener. You can call her Shannon. I have helped her on maybe a couple of occasions, but I have, have learned how delicate small plants are. I, I am confessing this morning that I may or may not have accidentally, when I was in the yard, uprooted a small plant and then looked around to see if anybody saw what happened scratched a quick hole in the ground and jammed that poor little thing back in the dirt. <laughs> you know, the, those poor little shoots, they don't have any roots. You may remember in 2011 the, the tsunami that took over Tohoku, J uh, Japan. It was uh, started by, it came from an uh, estimated 9.0 earthquake about 80 miles off the coast of Japan. And one of the most horrific things about this particular event was the video that people had where you can now go back and watch what happened. You can watch as this tsunami uprooted massive trees like they were little shoots that I accidentally stepped on, along with houses and vehicles and people, and washed them through the streets of, of Sendai, Japan like a thick soup. As horrific as that event was, Peter is warning us of a danger that is very, very similar, a spiritual danger. He warns us to take care lest we be carried away by the tsunami of error caused by the earthquake of lawless people in our culture. And to give you an idea of what Peter means by that word, take care, it's been used a couple other places in Scripture. For example, in Acts chapter 12, verse 4, describing Herod's arrest and, and eventual execution of James, Luke wrote, And when Herod had seized James, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Same word, take care, to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Luke used that word again in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, describing the shepherds that the angels startled when, when Jesus was born. He said, and in that same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch. There's that same word, over their flock. I want you to hear the level of attention that Peter is calling us to when he says to take care that you are not carried away. We are to take care like a soldier uh, would guard a prisoner if they knew they would be executed if that prisoner should escape. He's telling us to take care 
like a shepherd watching over their flock at night, ready and willing to, to take on predators and thieves. He's describing a sleepless vigil, a very intense focus and a heightened awareness of what's going on around us to take care that we are not carried away by lawlessness. We must continue to sink our roots into Christ so that we are not carried away, so we are not washed away by error. When my youngest daughters were little, they used to love to sneak up on us in the living room and try to scare us. And we could hear them around the corner giggling and making their plans. And then they'd crawl on the floor behind the couch to try to jump up and scare us. But what they didn't realize was that their hair stuck up about six inches above their head. And so all we saw was these two frizzy little heads moving toward the couch. We knew exactly where they were. I tell you that story because I want you to understand that these lawless people are not like my, my two daughters when they were young. These lawless people, they are practiced in the subtleties of seduction. In, in chapter 2, Peter said that they revel in their error as they eat with you. He said they entice unsteady souls with the passions of the flesh by boasting of freedom. They're very convincing. Peter knows that just like he was carried away unaware, we can too be carried away if we don't take care. What I want you to hear me saying is we must not be cavalier about this. We must not be ignorant. We must not assume that just because we're sitting here on Sunday and we're good American Christians, that this won't affect us because let me give you some examples of how it has already. Recently, I was talking to the men in, in Men's Simeon about the role of husbands. And one of the things I mentioned is how many men have fallen prey to the idea that they are not allowed or, or somehow supposed to make spiritual decisions for their wives. Should your wife work? How do you spend your money? How do you discipline your children? What church do you go to? What constitutes a legitimate reason not to go to church? What small group do you go to? For those men who are not in Simeon, let me tell you the same thing I told them. Brothers, that ain't her decision. It's yours. The spiritual decisions of the family, which are far more than we think, are your decision as a husband. The answers to questions like that, they're not her responsibility, they're yours. And you will be held account to God for how those decisions were made, whether you made them or not. Those, like many other questions, are all spiritual decisions that, that you have been given the responsibility to make. But too many men, even in this congregation, have been carried away by the lawless idea that, that we should let our wives make their own spiritual decisions. We don't want to impose on them. Now, please don't get me wrong. I am not in any way, shape, or form talking about tyranny or abuse. I'm talking about servant leadership. I'm talking about biblical persuasion and prayer. And the wife should absolutely tell you her opinion 
vehemently and regularly and loudly if need be. And her opinion should carry great weight on your decision, but ultimately, it's your decision. Your wife isn't going to stand before God to give an account for the spiritual decisions of your family. Another example. Too many American Christians have been carried away by the error that your job or your education or your family is more important than the church. This has snuck up on many and swept them away like it did Peter. Really? You're going to leave your church because your job says so. That is biblically backwards. The error of individualism has caused many Christians to be carried away by the error that I as your pastor am not your spiritual head. It's the error that says I'm available for advice that you can weigh against other options you may have if you like, but I am not allowed to tell you what you should do. I don't have the right or the authority to tell you what to do in spiritual matters. Many have have not taken care and been carried away by the error of materialism and greed. This recent pandemic and the current uh, political climate has, has caused many American Christians to be carried away by the error of fear and idolatry. And I could go on and on and on. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you this morning, we must sink our roots deeper into Christ because apostasy... Being carried away, making shipwreck of our faith is as real a danger for us in this room as it is anywhere else in this world. However, by continually sinking our roots deeper into Christ, we can be on guard. We can take care that the error of these lawless people does not uproot us. That's the first thing Peter tells us in in these last two verses. We must continue to sink our roots into Christ so that we are not carried away by lawless people. But second, look at the first half of verse 18 where Peter explains how, how we must continue to sink our roots into Christ. He says we must do that by growing in the grace of God. And knowledge of our Lord. He says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but this idea of, of growing in grace has, has often puzzled me. How does one grow in grace? I mean, isn't that something that God shows you? something that God does, and it certainly doesn't feel right to demand that God grow you in grace. That doesn't seem right. If we are to keep our stability by first growing in grace, then how do we do that? How does one grow in grace? Well, to begin, the Bible is very clear that grace is not something we need to grow in because we lack in it. The Bible is very clear that that grace is not something we need to grow in because we lack it. No, the Bible makes clear that we have already received the riches of God's grace in Christ. 
In other words, this is what the Bible means. We're not lacking in grace because God's holding it back. No. What the Bible means when it says that we need to grow in grace is we have need to grow in our experience of the grace we've already received. We have need to grow in our experience of the grace that that we've already received to sink our roots deeper into it. So what does that mean? I want you to think of it this way. Yes, God showed you amazing grace when you were saved. He graciously laid your sins on the shoulders of Jesus Christ uh, who paid your penalty on the cross. He graciously did that for you. However, that doesn't mean that's all the grace He's going to show you. No, He is still showing us grace every day as we grow more and more into a better image of our Savior. As we are transformed into Christ. How is that? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. The Bible tells us what perfect looks like, and that ain't me, so I assume it ain't you either. For example, the the Bible says, do not be afraid. I still get afraid. The Bible says, do not be angry in your sin. I still get angry in my sin. The Bible says your sin has been separated as far from the east as from the west from you. That's how far it's been taken away. But I still feel like my sin is clinging to my neck. And I could go on and on and on with that. So what I want you to hear here is growing in the grace of our Lord and Savior is growing in our experience. It's growing in our laying hold of the hope and the peace and the mercy and the strength and the freedom that our God has already graciously given us to become more like Christ. Are you afraid of something? Are you tempted by something? Does someone or something agitate you? Do you you have feelings of shame? These are all things that lawless people can use to carry us away. So in order to not be carried away, we must grow in our experience of the grace that we have nothing to fear. We must grow in our experience of the grace that that Jesus took all of your sin away. We must grow in the experience of the grace that God will vindicate us to our enemies and so on and so on. We've been given this already by God. We need to grow in our experience of it. We must continue to sink our roots into Christ by growing in the grace of our Lord and Savior. How do we do that? How do we grow in our experience of of grace. Where do we send our roots to soak up this grace? Peter's already told us. Peter has already told us how to do that. He said that if we want to grow in grace, he says we must sink our roots deeper into the knowledge of the promises of God. Look at chapter 1 in verse 2. He says it very clearly. That we must sink our roots deeper into the knowledge of the promises of God. He says in verse 2, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. How?
words, the fertilizer we need to grow fat on the grace of hope and peace and courage and faith and strength and godliness. The, 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 the fertilizer that we need to grow fat on those things is found in the knowledge of His promises, which He is always faithful to keep. The deeper we sink our roots into the knowledge of God's promises, the more we experience His grace. We must continually sink our roots deeper into the grace of God by growing in the knowledge and then the experience that God is faithful to keep all of His promises. Because, because the promises of God are what will keep us from being swept away. The promises of God are what will keep us stable and established and rooted. If we but knew a fraction of the future that God has promised us. If we could begin to believe that all our deepest longings will be satisfied in Christ. If we could sink our roots deeper into the promise that every pleasure of this world will not be taken away but amplified by Christ. Not only will every tear be wiped away, but every, every laugh will be turned into aching ribs. Can you imagine how funny God is? Not only will every enemy be judged, but every, every proper relationship will be permanently and perfectly restored. Not only are there no sharks or jellyfish in the glassy sea of heaven, but when pasty gingers go to, this, go to the sea for a day, they will not get burned in the golden glow of Christ's glory. If we would drive our roots deep into the promises that what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor, nor heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love Him, if we could drive our roots into that truth, we would be so firmly established and rooted that our hearts could never be carried away. So we must grow fat on the living truth. We must plump up on the living truth that we will escape from the corruption that is in this world and become partakers of the divine nature. We must continually sink our roots deeper into Christ by growing in the grace and knowledge of the very great and precious promises of our Lord. That's how we sink our roots into Christ. But why? Why would we do that? Why would we sink our roots into Christ for stability instead of all the other things we might sink our roots in or do sink our roots in in this life? Why would we sink our roots into Christ instead of a, a more stable job, a better home, something like that? The answer is as simple as it is profound. Back in chapter 3, Peter says in the second half of 18, he said it so that Jesus will be glorified both now and to the day of eternity. 
He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. At the end of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus told the story of two houses. He said one house was built on the rock and one house was built on the sand. And when the winds came and when the, when the rain fell and when the storm beat against the house on, built on the sand, it was carried away. But when the rains came and when the, when the storm fell and when the, when, the, when the wind beat against the house built on the rock, it was not carried away. When the house that was built on the rock that is Christ, when it was rooted in Christ, it was not carried away by the storm. In other words, we must continually sink our roots into the rock of Christ because when the error of this world washes over us, when the, when the lawlessness of this world beats against us like a tsunami, our Lord and Savior will be glorified right here today when those lawless people are put to shame because the cedars of this church the cedars of Cedar Springs Church, fattened and rooted in the rock of God's promises, are left standing. And, and even when those who, who are, are seeking God, who are looking for something, who want more in this life, when they, say, when they see the stability and the rootedness and the confidence and the strength of these cedars, so deeply rooted in the rock of Christ... Our Lord and Savior will be glorified today when they become desperate to sink their roots into the grace that they see at work in us. Brothers and sisters, we must continually sink our roots deeper and deeper into the knowledge of the promises of Christ's grace. Because ultimately, not just now, but on that day, on that great and dreadful day of the Lord, when He returns on a white horse to complete the work that He began in us on the cross, on that day He will be glorified when the multitudes of men and women from every nation and every tribe and every tongue cry out in a deafening roar. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and might and glory and blessing. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. When on the day the great I Am, the faithful and the true, the Lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light, and we shall ere His people be. All glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ, our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing, all glory be to Christ. That is ultimately why we must sink our roots so deeply into Him. Stand with me, please, and let's sing this to our Lord and Savior.